Ken Moffitt. We finished up our, our five-part Exodus series, and we're going to be starting on a, a new series. I guess we'll, we'll probably start that, that next week, the actual judicial uh, case, uh, uh, I guess, the trial of uh, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, like a, like a, a litigious look at it. But before we do that, bring it back to, we just did, like, what, 3,000 years ago? We're going to come back to the present day for one episode, and then we'll jump right back into ancient times. But explain to them, so everyone on can put me in touch with Bill Albrock, who I had on, it's like 100 episodes ago, author of Escape from Firebase Kate, received three silver stars in Vietnam for heroic actions. It's a fantastic book, and it's a fantastic episode, if I do say so myself. Um, and there's kind of been this whole back and forth thing that I can't do any justice to. So Mr. Moffat here, in addition to being a, a scholar of biblical activities, you are. And but you're also involved with this. So give everyone yeah, there's yeah, you know, don't take a shortcut. Tell everyone what's going on, what the whole thing is, because I'm not gonna do it justice. Okay. Thank you, Tommy. Yes, um this whole case started, if you will, the Genesis is nineteen sixty-nine, October um 30, 30, 31 through November 2nd, 1969, in the Republic of Vietnam. Captain Albrecht at the time was the youngest Special Forces captain in Vietnam, perhaps youngest captain in Vietnam to command troops. He was sent to a firebase called Firebase Kate. And um, there were three firebases, Kate, Annie, and Susan. They were named after the battery commander. Those were his three daughters. Well, Firebase Kate happened to be sort of in a, not quite a valley, but there were hills on uh, all sides of it. And the NVA, had, the North Vietnamese Army had taken up positions on these hills and Kate was, they were firing down on the Firebase Kate. The um, captain that was told to establish these firebases told the battery commander, sir, this is probably not a good idea because of that reason. The battery commander said they're temporary. They're not going to be there that long. So go ahead and set them up. Set them up. Next thing you know, the NVA are crossing the border from Cambodia, uh, the neutral country of Cambodia, wink, wink. And they set up these uh, artillery positions, rocket positions, uh, everything. Kate eventually was surrounded by an estimated five to 6,000 North Vietnamese soldiers. And when I say surrounded, I mean 100% surrounded. It began a five-day siege. Captain Albrecht was sent in to be the uh, commanding officer of the security forces, which were the mountain yards. Now, in Vietnam, the mountain yards were the indigenous people of the Central Highlands. They were, if you will, they were uh, our Native Americans, Indians. They were, for all intents and purposes, Stone Age. Uh, loincloths, crossbows, and so on and so forth. Well, they were trained by Special Forces, Green Berets, and the CIA to do co covert missions against the North Vietnamese along the, uh, the Ho Chi Minh Trail coming down from North Vietnam, cutting through Laos, Cambodia, and then infiltrating into South Vietnam. Well, they there was a push on and we didn't know it at the time but the ultimate goal of the north vietnamese was to get rid of these three fire bases kate annie and susan then attack the special forces camp at buprang which was the camp that uh, captain albrecht was assigned to and then drive north to the provincial capital of ban me to it capture ban me to it cut south vietnam in half and at that point, the North Vietnamese would control the northern section of South Vietnam, leaving the southern section of South Vietnam to our allies, the South Vietnamese. The only thing that stood in their way really um, was the three, the three uh, fire bases and the special forces camp. Well, two of the three fire bases, Annie and Susan, um, they evacuated them real quick. That left Kate. Kate was the only one. And as we like to say, Bill didn't get the memo that he was supposed to surrender to the North Vietnamese. Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, so he held out literally for five days, 27 Americans, 132 South Vietnamese. Actually, let me correct that 132 mountain yards, because I corrected that because the South Vietnamese or the, the Arvins, the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, ARVN hated the mountain yards. They, they detested them. They considered them savages, subhuman. They live in huts. Um, they just had no use for them. So here Bill is, Captain Albrecht is, with 27 Americans, 132 mountain yards, completely surrounded by the NVA, North Vietnamese Army. And we've got photographs, and, and it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal situation. And the North Vietnamese began to rain down uh, artillery, rockets, small arms, you name it, onto the fire base. Um, there were two operating guns. There's a, a 105 and a 155 howitzers who that were eventually destroyed by North Vietnamese artillery pieces, so they were just useless, which made this fire base to be nothing more than a target, an impact zone for the North Vietnamese to continually launch um, their salvos into and onto the men at Firebase K. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and for uh, Captain Albrock, he uh, right, he, he he requested permission to to retreat or to abandon the base. And he was told no. At which point he called back and said, "I'm not requesting. Now I'm informing you that we are leaving." It was. Uh, I'm not asking. I'm just telling you. This is what we're doing. Yeah, pr- pretty much. There was literally, as he puts it, there we, we're nothing but an impact area. We're not going to surrender, and to stay here and die for what reason? Yeah, yeah. And so the the American command um, requested the South Vietnamese. Well, let, let me back up a quick second here. During all of this, you got to remember that there were the, these 27 Americans, there was only one other infantryman, and that was Sergeant Dan Pirelli. So you have Sergeant Dan Pirelli and Captain Albrecht. Um, Sergeant Pirelli was also a Special Forces sergeant. And so you have two Americans who are trained in infantry tactics and all that goes with it. The other 25 Americans were artillerymen. Now, every soldier that goes through army basic training gets eight weeks of basic infantry training and when i say basic it's basic how to use your weapon how to march without tripping and etc 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 but for the four for the tactics and uh, moving under fire and, and all of that that's not something that's done in basic training it's just not that's what advanced individual training is for only two Americans, that was Bill, Captain Albrecht, and Dan Perley. So you had the other 25 who, while they knew how to use their weapons, they really didn't know the tactics. And that's what they relied on Captain Albrecht. One of the things that's interesting about this is that um, Bill was wounded early in the siege. I think it was either the first or second day. He was wounded while a medevac helicopter was coming in um, to pick up wounded and so on. As Bill was guiding the helicopter in, the North Vietnamese launched a B-22 rocket, a 122 rocket, and Bill could see it off for, from his periphery. He could see the rocket coming in because they weren't like rockets today, you know, just light speed. These things were pretty slow. So he sees it coming in and he begins to wave off the helicopter because he could see the rocket and the helicopter were gonna collide. And as he's doing this, the, the rocket explodes and sends shrapnel into his arm. And Hollywood makes it look like, well, he was shot and wounded, really no big deal. He got up and he was fighting. No, those are, anybody that's ever been wounded by shrapnel or a gunshot wound will tell you it is painful, it burns because that hot lead and um, metal that is going just searing through your body. So Bill waves off that helicopter and they land safely. Bill is then goes down into the FDC, fire direction control bunker. He's patched up, put a big old bandage on his arm. So he's got like one arm that's good and the other one is just pretty much immobile. And he stays in the fight. now. 
some of his guys, including the medics, said, Captain, you need to be evacuated and have that arm looked at. And he said, I can't leave you guys. I'm not going. This is my command. I'm staying here. So for the five days of that siege, after he's wounded, he stayed and led those men. And when you look at the witness statements and when you look at the documentary that was done, uh, Paul Kaker did a, a phenomenal job uh, doing a documentary. And that's what you alluded to, Escape from Firebase Kate, um, on, on drawing out from these witnesses these soldiers that survived Firebase Kate um, exactly what it was like. And to a man that he interviewed that was on the ground, not the helicopter pilots, uh, they all give Captain Albrecht credit for saving their lives. And um, when I got digging into the case, when I went to work for Congressman Schilling, um, this case came across my desk and I began digging into it. Um, I was told that he was the only American who did not receive an award of any type for Firebase Kate. Every other American received something up to and including Bronze Star with V for Valor. And so what comes to it is is that they think it's your youth or it should be upgraded to a Medal of Honor, correct? That's that's the, the end goal. That's what people think uh, should be the case, correct? That is correct. The, the initial recommendation um, from Congressman Schilling's office, when I got all the paperwork, I actually contacted several of the congressional offices. This was our, uh, our first term in office. And so we had never seen anything like this before. And I had contacted a couple of congressional offices. One of the congressional offices was that of Congressman Bob Filner from uh, the San Diego Chula Vista area in California. And one of the individuals that served at Firebase K, Ken Hopkins, lived in Chula Vista. I think he still does live in Chula Vista, California. And as I was talking to him about this, he said, hey, I'm, can you do me a favor? Can you contact Congressman Filner's uh, office? I have an issue that I'd like to talk about veterans. And so on. I said, sure. So I contacted his office and his veterans caseworker. I just started chatting. Turns out he was a Vietnam veteran. So I, I was giving him just sort of the thumbnail of this. And he said, wow, that is just an incredible story. And I said, we're uh, Congressman Schiller wants to recommend him for an, for an award that he never received in Vietnam. What do you think? He goes, that's Medal of Honor stuff. And I would kind of step back and I said, are you sure? And he goes, I actually worked on a Medal of Honor case. That's exactly what the Medal of Honor did. He risked his life to save 27 Americans. He was wounded, refused to be evacuated. He repeatedly exposed himself to uh, enemy fire, calling in airships and gunships and so on and so forth. One of the interesting thing, and I'll get back to that, but this is one of those things that pops into your mind as you're telling these stories. Captain Albrecht, um, because the terrain was so thick, triple canopy jungle completely surrounded, which enabled the North Vietnamese to hide very mm -hmm. well. And it was difficult for the helicopter gunships and the Air Force gunships and the what they call slow movers um, to really pinpoint where they wanted to drop their bombs and napalm and so on. So Captain Albrecht um, took his M-16, loaded the magazines full of uh, tracer rounds. Oh, and yeah, he would, yeah. He would see where the North Vietnamese were and he would begin firing tracer rounds into the positions which enabled the helicopters and the air force gunships to then pinpoint and, and take care of the north vietnamese yeah. but in doing so he exposed himself yeah. the north vietnamese caught on and they began to rain you know what down on him as a result of this but he did it several times over the course of this five days because it was the only way that they could really pinpoint where the enemy soldiers were. And so he repeatedly exposed himself. There, there's another um, situation where the uh, medevac chopper was coming in to pick up some wounded and there was an overhead canopy that had been uh, blown up. And so there was really no cover for these guys. And as a result of this, the NVA started shooting rockets and Bill actually laid across wounded soldiers to protect them from the uh, rocket. Uh, when they explode, they send out the shrapnel. And he uh, did this to protect these guys. 
get them on the chopper, get them out of here, and so on and so forth. So there's incident after incident after incident. He was just like a one-man Rambo, you know, only in real life. Yeah, yeah. I was and the blood say, was real. I was going to say, I remember from his book, yeah, he loaded tracer rounds in, and he'd pop, 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 and they'd be able to see from the air where they were going. But it's also a lot like uh, the Germans using the MG42s on D-Days shooting Americans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, when they would run out of ammo, they'd start using their anti-aircraft ammo, which was tracers. But that meant the, the 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 destroyers, the U.S. destroyers, could see where these bursts were coming from, and so they were signing. So within like the German command, it was seen as an honorable thing because it was they're going to continue to slaughter our guys, the Americans knowing full well that the destroyers are going to see where the bursts are coming from. And then in which case you had like 30 seconds before a shell the size of a car hit your bit, hit your placement. But, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's that I, I, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Well, the, the, the fighting got so bad that the American command could not send any more helicopters in. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they went, they did the helicopter assaults and so on and so forth. And, one of the real tragedies of this was a uh, helicopter that was shot down. He was the uh, uh, chief warrant officer, I believe it was, CW1, I think it was, still in black, and uh, Blackie to his friends. And uh, he was on an approach to engage the North Vietnamese. And they, with uh, an artillery round, as you said, hit the tail boom of his chopper. And the last thing he was uh, heard saying was to um, one of his uh, other pilots, was, the pilot said, uh, Blackie, Blackie, uh, you've been hit, you've been hit, your tail boom's gone or whatever. And the fire started. And um, I think the last thing that he was said was, um, do you see a clearing where I can put down? And then they just nosedived mm-hmm. in, into the jungle and all on board were killed. But this is one of those tragic things that um, the unintended consequences of soldiers dying. Um, Nolan Black and his uh, his wife, Carol, had been married a year or so before he deployed. Um, they couldn't have children, so they adopted a young girl. And as a result of that, he was only able to be with this little girl that they had adopted about three months. Then he was deployed and killed, so he never grew I'm sorry, he never got to know his daughter. She never got to know her dad. Um, and, and that's what makes this such a horrific uh, situation. You know, there were 60,000 or so Americans that were killed and they all had family members. But when you, you look at it that personal and, and Captain Albrecht and I think Nolan, I'm sorry, um, Nelson Kuhn uh, from Moriarty, New Mexico, he always tells me that, um, actually run the perimeter when the helicopter went down and and bill said he could you know just watch it dive right into the into the jungle um one of the other tragic stories was uh and this is one of those things that um and i have discussed this with the command officers numerous times and they just shake their head and say i cannot believe that this guy did this he um he was lieutenant colonel um i have no point in using his name he's been dead many years um, he sent a first lieutenant, Ron Ross, to Firebase Cape. Lieutenant Ross um, was three days short of going on R and R to yeah. Hawaii to meet his wife that he hadn't seen in months and months and months, and his newborn baby that was just born. And um, the artillery pieces at Cape had been totally destroyed. There was no point in sending anybody else there. And this was pointed out to the lieutenant colonel, the battery commander, and he said, uh, I don't care, lieutenant, you're going to Firebase Cape. Well, the lieutenant, the battery commander did not like him, did not like Lieutenant Ross. He considered him an embarrassment to the officer corps, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And okay, and the die has been cast. He's on the next chopper to Cape. He arrives and spends one night and he's killed the next day. He never gets to reunite with his wife. He never sees his baby son, um, who lives not too far from us here in Stout, Iowa. Um, he was able to, I, I set up a meeting when I worked with Congressman Schilling, set up a meeting um, with John Ross, the Lieutenant's son, and Captain Albrecht. And it was at first, John, he told me, he said, I, 
didn't know my dad. Um, his family never spoke of the death, never spoke of the death. He said, I really don't know anything about him. And it wasn't until John's uh, wife, Deanne Ross, got involved. And she said, you know, I'd like to know about my father-in-law. And we have a daughter who'd, who'd like to know about her grandfather. And John said, as most smart guys do, they listen to their wives. And he said, okay, fine. I'll, uh, I'll see this, uh, Captain, Ron, uh, Captain Albright. So we set up a meeting here in Moline, Illinois, and it was evident from the moment John and because Captain uh, Lieutenant Ross actually died in Bill's arms. Bill was um, administering first aid to him when he died. And um, so John came in and Bill started telling him about his dad. John starts welling up with tears. And it was at that point that you realized that he really did want to know about his dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those things. I remember watching it. It was being filmed and everything. The news media was there and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was just one of those things. Yeah. You know. Jeez, yeah, and it, that seems to be a thing that there are stories from Vietnam where it's, yeah, you get sent there to die. It's there are guys that are like, I'm going to send you here, and you're not going to come home. And it's, it's pretty. That's pretty evil. Cannon fodder. Yeah. You just become uh, the 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 thing. That one of the thing too was the attrition rate. Um, for Americans, you know, we were we, we were a whole lot better and a whole lot luckier than the North Vietnamese because we, we had the super sophisticated weapons and we could just annihilate thousands of them at a time, you know, in B-52s and so on and so forth. But there were guys, uh, commanding officers, that their sole goal was to up that food chain. And if that means that I have to use you and you and you to get that promotion, that's mm-hmm. where it's going to be because you're nothing but a spec four. You're nothing but an E5. You you may or may not stay in the military. It doesn't matter to me. But yeah. here I am, Captain Major, Lieutenant Colonel. I am staying in, yeah. and I'm moving the food chain. And I want to go be in the Pentagon one day. So it's yeah, you guys are you guys are fodder. That's dark. So now it's been right. It's kind of been back and forth for a while right. about getting him upgraded. And what happened? Oh, it should, sorry, it should be noticed that 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 Captain Bill or Hawk, he's not. This isn't him rallying for a Medal of Honor. This isn't him beating his chest and saying, "Give me this." Right? There are people around him that are saying, "You deserve this." Uh, yeah, Bill is um, as far on the periphery as yeah. you can get. He's he's not involved in this at all. I, actually, uh, we were talking a while back, and he goes, "You know, I'm." I'm I'm, I'm content with the Silver Star. I'm at peace with that. And I said, well, I'm not. Yeah, because he I'm knows what he did. And no one can take yeah. that away from him. And everybody knows. An injustice as is an injustice. And we're seeing more and more of these stories that are coming out of either Iraq or Vietnam and so on, where uh, for whatever reason, uh, the individuals overlooked. One of the interesting things about this is that when Captain Albrecht was recommended by Congressman Schilling, uh, for the Medal of Honor, um, it went up through the awards and decoration branch of the Pentagon. I personally spoke numerous times with the liaison at the awards and decoration branch, and he told me we sent up about 165 pages of documents, including um, a uh, radio transcript that we have on, on uh, CD. You can plug it into your computer, put it in your car, and listen to the actual battle as it's going on and the transcript and he told me he said ken this is the most complete package we've ever seen and he goes this is such this was an interesting point he said this is such fascinating listening to when we listen to this the siege of the battle that when things get a little slow around here we somebody will just pop in the computer and just listen to it because they've never heard anything like this before and i said well that's great so he sends it up and it goes to the Department of the Army, and so on and so forth, they come back with a recommendation uh, that they're not going to award Captain Albrecht the Medal of Honor or the Distinguished Service Cross. They're going to give him the Silver Star. Now, for most people, most guys would say, that's great. Uh, I'm moving on with my life. But 
when you look at what happened in the totality of all these documents and witness statements and so on and so forth, and I, and I would encourage your viewers who are interested, you can go to Amazon Prime and you can see the documentary Escape from Firebase Kate. I would urge you to do that because it is a phenomenal story. And like I said, uh, Paul Caker from Storytellers International that did this, did a phenomenal story. Uh, just a great, great job of uh, putting that together and writing it and directing it and so on. So we get the word that Captain Albrecht's going to get the Silver Star. And I was like, what? I called my liaison at the Pentagon and I talked to him. And he said, well, you know, there was this, that, and the other. And I said, okay, fine. And I said, okay, where do we open it? You can appeal it if you want to. Um, he goes, I don't know where we'll go, but you can appeal it. I said, okay, fine. So I started getting the paperwork together for the appeal, called the awards and decoration branch and said, okay, what do I do? How do I go about this? And they said, well, you have to do this, 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 and this. And unless there's some new pertinent material information, they won't look at the same information a second time. Okay, fine. Well, after the book of the DVD came out, the documentary, I got phone calls and emails from guys that were helicopter pilots that I was a pilot, I did this, I was there, I did this, blah, blah, blah. And I said, let me see your witness statements. Got all of these witness statements, plus the new information, and as well as the uh, documentary, uh, Escape from Firebase Cape, submitted all of that information to ARBA, the Army Review Board, ARBA, Army, yeah, Army Review Board Agency. They looked at it, they came back and, and I can almost quote this verbatim, this paragraph on page five of their finding. And it said, the uh, actions that Captain Albrecht engaged in, in the fall of 1969, the Silver Star is inadequate. We are therefore recommending an upgrade to the uh, chief awards branch to uh, for the Medal of Honor. Great. Goes to the Department of the Army. No, Silver Star. So we're sitting here. What's the story with this? Well, real quickly, there were only three silver stars issued for um, at Firebase Cape. One went to a Mike Smith, Lieutenant Mike Smith. One went to Lieutenant Ron Ross, who we just mentioned, who was killed. Got off a helicopter, went to bed, woke up the next morning, got killed, and he was awarded the silver star. Third highest award for valor. And so we're scratching our head. Okay, I don't take anything away from anybody who's killed. And then it comes 43 years later, the Captain Albrecht gets the same award as these two guys. He's the one that led this five-day siege. He's the one that led them through that night march for about 15 miles from Firebase Cape, completely surrounded, through the ambush from the NVA, through the jungle, back to the Special Forces camp, all the while wounded, hadn't had sleep or rest, really any decent rest for five days, no hot food. They're running on empty. And he leads these men through this. They give him credit for that in their statements, in the documentary, and the Army comes back and says, so so what? So what we are trying to do, and I've been working uh, with several members of Congress, several senators and so on, and I also have now on board uh, uh, the Vietnam Veterans of America are behind this effort, as well as the VFW. I've been working with Bob Jackson, who is the National Security and uh, Foreign Affairs Advisor uh, for the VFW, and he is totally on board. He watched the documentary last week, and we talked on the phone. He goes, I do not know why we're having this conversation. Why was this not the Medal of Honor years ago? He put it up to his boss. His boss said the same thing. Bob, why is this? Why, why yeah. is this? Even, yeah. what, what's the Army not seeing? What is the Army not seeing? Here's an interesting thing, and I'm just throwing this out because I have been told this by some senior military people that um, Vietnamization was when President Nixon ran for office in 1968. He said, I have a plan to get us out of Vietnam. And of course, all politicians, nobody is specific. Okay, well, he's got a plan. These guys don't, so let's elect him. Well, as a result of that, um, the Secretary of Defense, Melvin, Melvin Laird, came up with Vietnamization, which essentially is turning the war over to the South Vietnamese, Vietnamizing the war. And as a result of that, that's where the South Vietnamese were supposed to step up to the plate and start doing a lot of the heavy lifting. We would kind of back off a little bit. We still had advisors and you know so on and so forth. 
So the American 4th Division at Plate Coup was told, you will not go rescue Captain Albrecht and these 27 Americans. The South Vietnamese are going to do that. The Arvins are going to do that. And as a result of this, the Arvin 20, I think it was 24th Division said, no, we're not. We're not going to risk any of our guys for 27 Americans, let alone a bunch of uh, mountain yards that we detest. Yeah. So here you have the 4th Division American Infantry and the South Vietnamese Arvins. Who's going to blink? Yeah. Nobody's blinking. So Bill says, okay, it's on me. Yeah. And he, that's at that point when he, that's when you alluded to, he uh, requested uh, to um, abandon the fire base. We weren't retreating. Army never retreats. We have strategic withdrawals, but we don't retreat. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so they say, now you got to stay there. And he, as you said, he, he, it's funny because he, he looks at Bob Johnson the, the, um, in the fire direction control center and he says, Bob, give me a piece of paper coded it we're leaving yeah and they arranged the helicopter the uh gun support which never came the spooky gunships never came because of mechanical issues bill took these 27 americans and 132 mountain yards from firebase cape down what is called the gap and if you watch the documentary you'll see it through ambush hill where the north vietnamese had set up an ambush and as soon as they got to ambush hill the the uh, machine guns opened up fortunately they made uh the wrong turn on ambush hill and the, and the uh rounds were going over their head yeah, the 51 caliber yeah. scattered into the jungle bill and danny pirelli sergeant pirelli regrouped these guys and said let's go we're going this direction so they're going and going and going and going and going and the north vietnamese are literally beating the bush for these guys they're not gonna let any americans escape no prisoners everybody's gonna die they get to a clearing and bill describes it about the size of a football field waist high grass moonlit night i mean the perfect kill zone and he radios across to where he thinks the mic force which had been sent to rescue him the mobile strike force and uh, he says hey can you send one of your guys across here to meet us and the commander of the mic force says how about you send one of your guys because <laughs> we don't know who you are call signs get compromised yeah so bill says okay you guys wait here I'm going across this clearing. One of the guys said, Captain Albrecht, I'll go, because if you get killed, we're all dead. He said, I'm going. So he crosses that clearing once, meets up with the Mike Force, crosses that clearing a second time, gets his guys, crosses that clearing a third time. And as he says, I wouldn't send anybody to do anything that I wouldn't already do, mm -hmm. or I hadn't already done, or wouldn't do. They link up with that Mike Force, they make it back to the special forces camp at Buprang. And they only lost one guy and we're really not sure if he was lost in the jungle, in the confusion, or some say that he left something back at Kate because as Bill and the Americans in the mountain yards were leaving Kate, I mean, it was at a full gallop. They could hear the North Vietnamese coming up the other slope. And so we really don't know if Mike Norton was his name, if he was killed going back to get something or if he was lost in the jungle. Either way, he was listed as missing in action. Eventually, he was uh, KIA killed in action. That was the, the final outcome of that. But it was just one of those things that you just the more you look at it, the more you get into it, the more you realize how did he get anybody out of there alive, let alone himself? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it, it almost starts to get comical. Like, how did he survive? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it, the whole thing starts to, it, it starts to seem a little bit too much like a movie. You're mm -hmm. like, this isn't realistic. They would have been killed. And, but because of that, it starts to get a little odd that he hasn't got the Medal of Honor. Is there any, is there, is there an ulterior motive to why he wouldn't have got it? Is there someone up there that just has it out for Captain Albrock? Is there, yeah, that's an interesting question. I called um, the lieutenant colonel. Uh, I cannot remember his name. It was about 2012, 2013, 14, something like that. After we received the award, uh, the word that he was going to get the Silver Star in 2012. And mm -hmm. I called the uh, awards and decoration branch and I spoke with the chief. It was lieutenant colonel, cannot remember his name. And we were talking about this, and, and he said, well, let, let me see. Let me see what I can figure out here. 
So we spoke a couple of days later and he goes, well, I can't tell you because it's against regulations how the board members voted. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you this, one of them made the comment and he's reading it off his computer screen, the Captain Albrecht is special forces. That's what we expect of him. Uh, okay, he's a Green Beret, so that's what we expect of these guys. Um, in 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 addition to walking across water, you know, they catch lightning bolts and they do all this stuff. That's what we expect of these guys. So, so why should we give him anything other than what he's already got? I have a, a witness statement from the former uh, commanding general of the First Army. His name is uh, Mike Tucker, Lieutenant General, three-star general. And in his witness statement supporting the upgrade, General Tucker states that he has served on Medal of Honor review boards. Not only does he support the upgrade to the Medal of Honor, but he says this is a classic case of why this man should have the Medal of Honor. So it's not just me. It's not just Bob Johnson from the BFW or the Vietnam Veterans of America or hundreds of other Vietnam veterans and and, and actually some uh, Iraqi and Afghanistan veterans who are on board with this. It's people that are in the know. Now, like I said, the 4th Division was in position to help, but they were told to stand down. Could the Army be embarrassed by that? We don't really know. Senator Joni Ernst from Iowa, one of uh, Bill's two senators, sent a letter to the Pentagon, to the Department of the Army back in 2015, I believe it was, requesting to know why the second upgrade was not upgraded. How come they did not upgrade, even though ARBA, the review board, the Army's own review board, recommended the upgrade? The Army still said, no, we're not doing that. It's been 16 months, coming on 16 months, and they have yet to respond to the letter. I've got a copy of the letter in my files, and it's just laying out, boom, boom, boom. They, they just blew it off. So the question is, why? What, what's going on here? Now, do you think it's an issue of, it's kind of like what we talked about last week with, uh, you know, not wanting to look at archaeological sites because it it leads to the implication of an existence of a Jewish state, and we can't do that? And what we kind of alluded to for everyone that's listening right now, and it's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> we talked about, you know, the reason why, let's just say, for example, let's say the pyramids are much older than they actually are. It might not be a conspiracy as to why historians don't want to address it so much as it's just a simple human ego thing. I've been teaching this my whole life. I don't want to now say, actually, you know what? They aren't, you know, I'm wrong. Could it just be. You know, we are the infallible, we are the infallible committee that decides who gets the Medal of Honor. And we can't just 40 years later say we're wrong. Does that then open the door to a million other cases? Do they start diluting the importance of the Medal of Honor? Is it a whole rabbit hole of maybe it's not a, a sexy conspiracy, maybe it's just human ego, human, human stubbornness, ignorance, arrogance? One of the things that has been pointed out um, by people that are higher up in the food chain than I am is that, well, let me back up real quick. In the paragraph five on that, that five pages or that long document that the review board sent, on page five of the paragraph, in addition to saying that Captain Albrecht's Silver Star is inadequate, it should be upgraded, the last sentence is that the review board should be reconvened and the individuals that looked at this the first time are not to look at it the second time, meaning that we recognize they made a mistake and we're not going to give them the opportunity to cover for their mistake by denying him this award a second time. Now, does that mean that the Army, we know that they didn't follow it because they didn't grant him the upgrade does that mean that they said okay you guys you looked at it the first time you want to take another crack at this yeah you know 30 seconds later yeah no nah, he's not getting anything because we don't want to admit that we were wrong you're 100 correct i've been teaching it this way for all these years so the new evidence cannot possibly be right yeah. we're not going to say that we were wrong and and the army is loathed to uh, admit their mistakes it's Human nature. I want to move up the food chain. Yeah. I want my my OER, my officer's evaluation report, does not want to reflect 
that I screwed this that up. I, that I didn't so, give someone a medal of honor for heroic actions. It, you know, and, and like I said, and we have pointed this out in document after document after document, the totality of the individual effort that he put into this on that five-day siege, he could have left after being wounded. He could have gone back to the special forces camp. He could have gone back to an aid station. Could have abandoned all of them. Absolutely, he he could have just said, "You guys are on your own. I'm out of here. This could've, is too hot." Could have used the monyards cannon fodder. Could have said, "Hey, you but guys, he go out there. Me and the Americans will go this way." He didn't do it. You know, and and two, the initial patrol on the day after they got there, uh, they made some. They, Bill wanted to go find out what what's out there, what's lurking in those jungles out there, and so he personally led the patrol out there. They got ambushed. Um, one of the mountain yards was shot in the head. Bill does the fireman carry back to the special back to uh, firebase Kate. The mountain yard dies, but the point being is that he set the tone that I will lead you guys. I don't lead from behind. If you guys are going to go out there, I'm going with you. Do you think it could be? Do you think it could be that by giving him a medal of honor, it insinuates that he went above and beyond the call? And to go above and beyond the call, that means you have to be in a complete shit situation where everything goes wrong. Why did everything go wrong? Because they said, we're not going to save them. We're Vietnamizing the war. Do you think it could be, do you think it could be, you know, to give him a medal of honor says he was in a terrible situation. And the more people look into it, they realize, oh, it was a terrible situation kind of created by Uncle Sam. They could have avoided all of this by just sending an air support. Could it be? an acknowledgement of, you know, the state is never wrong. Well, everything that I would uh, have to say would, would just be supposition on my part because we have not been able to get any definitive answers out of the Army. Um, well, but talking with senior uh, military officials, um, and I mean, these guys came up from Lieutenant Captain Major on a the food chain. Um, I talked to one helicopter pilot who retired as a bird colonel um, who, who fought at Cape, and his witness statement is just as eye-opening to the horrors of what was taking place at Cape as any that I've ever, ever read from you guys on the ground. He witnessed it from up above, and uh, well, he won't mind. John Beckenauer of Lincoln, Nebraska. Oh, and well, he's, he's, been, he's been on the podcast several times. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, John's been on. That's yeah. right. And his witness statement, you've seen his witness mm-hmm. statement. He is just, I, I read it, and it's all, it's the one witness statement when I send information to people that uh, senators and stuff like that, read this, understand that as he puts in there, that the American command had left these guys for dead. They knew they could not get them out of there. They were, as he says, dead men walking. And when they came and he spent that night at Buprang, they had to do some helicopter repair or something. And the next morning when Bill came walking in with those guys, he said that nobody could believe it. These are got these gotta be ghosts that he was able to get them out of there. He was sure they were dead that night. I was gonna say, it's kind of like when, what was the island that MacArthur wanted to take but not because it has strategic importance but because it had like personal importance to him was it um was it Peleliu Peleliu and yeah what no um, no it was, it was lady I don't remember but it was in there's a book about it and it's one of the islands that MacArthur wanted taken retaken over and like we're paying for this you know it's like Manhattan it's like you know a thousand dollars a square foot I mean, as everyone knows, the island hopping campaign in the Pacific, it was like a, it was like an American life per square foot. It was just the, the highest cost of, of, of territory to gain. And one of the islands MacArthur wanted didn't necess- wasn't necessarily imperative, but it had a personal value to him. And so it kind of goes to it, it, the, the whole idea is that MacArthur spent a lot of human lives to get this one island. But importantly... There was an American that stayed behind with some other American POWs, and they kind of like fended off the Japanese. It's in it's it's in Bill O'Reilly's book, um, "Killing the Rising Sun," and this guy like went through hell 
that really didn't and MacArthur abandoned them and this guy went through hell and managed to survive kind of like Albright and you know it was like everyone was like seeing ghosts it was like you guys are dead then they wanted to uh, the US wanted to give him a medal of honor and MacArthur actually lobbied against him getting a medal of honor because if you look at it more and more you realize well why was he in this shit situation the whole shit situation was caused by MacArthur and that looks terrible on him and eventually I think he did a 180 and he got the medal of honor but there does t- seem to be a precedent for like you know if I can if I took you if you if you and I were driving around out in the woods and I kicked you out of my car and then you know three weeks later you come crawling back and you're wearing like a dead bear for a jacket and you've turned into He-Man and everyone's like this guy deserves a movie but if I'm the director I'm going no no no, no that doesn't need to be a movie because it's going to eventually come back to me of oh wait this whole situation didn't even have to happen yeah, and, but there is precedent for that, and there's pre- precedent with with General Douglas MacArthur, who's I mean a fantastic effing American. He, I don't know why I just bleep myself. He's a fantastic fucking American, but I mean everyone does have flaws, and no one's immune to criticism. And there, that is a documented case of if him actually lobbying against this guy getting the Medal of Honor. You, you, you once again, it's supposition. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's all, it's all hypothetical. It's plausible, um, but as it stands, what we're doing right now is we are rallying uh, members of Congress as best we can, um, both senators from um, Iowa, as well as uh, Bill's local representative. Um, we are in the process of uh, working with uh, contacting Senator uh, Tammy Duckworth, who is the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Bill's originally from Illinois, so we're hoping, and she's met Bill. They've done uh, speaking engagements at Veterans Benefits and so on. So we're hoping that she'll get on board with this. And when we do this next interview with Bob uh, Jackson, what we're hoping to do is to lay out in more detail the, the steps that we're taking to get this upgrade. And we're going to actually call on your listeners and everybody else that we know to send as many emails, Facebook, uh, to make the public in, in America aware of this, that here you have a legitimate hero, a legitimate, not one of these manufactured knuckleheads that, you know, the love the media loves to talk about, you know, blah, everybody's a hero because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well, when you look at the, the documentary, once again, Escape from Firebase Cape, um, and you hear the stories of these guys that are alive today that went on to have careers, children's, families, grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, because Bill got them out of there alive, then you have to step back and say, what is the Army seeing or not seeing? What are we seeing or not seeing that the Army continues to deny this? Is it like you said, we don't want to open up a can of worms? Well, there's been a book written about it. There's been a television documentary. I think the worms are out of the can. So let's do the right thing and correct this injustice and award Captain Albrecht the Medal of Honor. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily letting the worms out of the can so much as it's if they give them the Medal of Honor, it's like they've, they're officially recognizing that he was in a terrible situation and you only got to pull on that thread for a little bit before you realize, oh, wait, the U.S., we could have sent in help, but we were like, no, 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 war's over. We're not doing this anymore. No man left behind, you know, except for right now. Read the fine print. They don't want to give a Medal of Honor that was earned in a situation that was created because of the U.S. leaving one of their guys behind. I think that just might be them. Or, you know, the interesting thing about that was that when uh, Captain Brockwell, Rich Brockwell, was in charge of establishing these, and he he told the battery commander, he goes, this is not a good idea. (laughs) Let's not do this. Well, Captain, I, I have a, you know, a bird on my shoulder here, and you've only got two bars. Guess who's going to rule here? Yeah. Okay, sir. They established the fire bases. This is the consequences of it. And yeah, you could be as right as I could be. Um, it, it's supposition, but I think it's one of those things that the Army just, well, yeah, we just didn't let this go. Yeah. Or is it 
you know, it's kind of like Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is the most likely. There's like another, there's another uh, theorem that says like, don't attribute to malice what can be equally attributed to incompetence. It might not be a whole, we don't want to give them, could this just be a case study of bureaucratic red tape? Possible. I mean, that might be, it might, it might not be a, a sexy conspiracy. It might just be, you know, yeah, you keep you keep kicking it to someone else's desk, and finally, after forty three years, you know, it hits Ken Moffat, and Ken's like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, buck stops here," <laughs> and and you're you're making him get the Medal of Honor. Did you see uh, the film uh, Last Full Measure? No. It, it, it's worth seeing. It, it's a true story of an Air Force pararescuer and a Pittsburgher, Pittsburgher, I believe it is, um, directed by Todd Robinson. And um, it's very similar to this in that um, he is killed. Um, he, he was a medic type pararescuer for the Air Force in Vietnam, 65, 66, I believe it was. And um, he was recommended for the Medal of Honor. And it just, you know, kicked down the road, kicked down the road, kicked down the road until finally, um, according to the film, and, you know, there's some director's liberty taken there. But, um, it was given to a guy who read the file and he's like, why are we doing this? I mean, he becomes a believer in this. And as a result of his tenacious uh, bulldog, if there is such a word, if there's not, I just created one. Um, he wouldn't let go. And as a result of that, Pitsenberger was eventually he was killed during this this battle. He was eventually awarded the Medal of Honor. And it's much like this. The bureaucracy gets in the way. And the bureaucracy is kind of like a, you know, the tentacles of an octopus. They can just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze until there's nothing left. Yeah, That's exactly correct. Yeah, And, you know, you can't say that all these years they just keep blowing it off, blowing it off, blowing it off. We don't want to hear about this guy. We don't want to hear about this. Could you guys please go away? And you're not going away. No. So um, let's wrap this one up, Mr. Moffitt. But we will resume with our regularly scheduled programming next Sunday. And, I have the notes um, right here. Let's do it. And um, yeah, let's um, text me after this, and we can set up that uh, that phone call. Okay. Yeah, Bob. Bob is. Uh, we're both eager to do this because we think that we can get this out to hundreds, maybe literally thousands of people out into your vest listening audience that um and then they they just the ripple effect yeah and we're going to urge them to contact their member of congress as well as both their representatives both their senators and i would urge them once again to go see that documentary if you have uh, amazon um escape from firebase kate it is well worth the watching and then you'll be you'll be a, a true believer in this as well Oh, yeah, the audiobook is very good as well, which is what I listen to. Um, but yeah, awesome. Thank you very much again. Let's wrap this one up. I'll text you. We'll set up all that stuff. And we'll get back to it next Sunday. And um, yeah, let's get let's get a uh, Captain Albrock his well deserved Medal of Honor. Maybe, Excellent. Maybe if we just make a big enough fuss, we'll have to. Do well, it. that's what, that's uh, the squeaky wheel gets the greats. Well, then let's let's be squeaky. Damn it. <laughs> We'll get a megaphone. We'll use my megaphone to amplify our squeakiness. There you go. All right, Ken. I'll see you, my friend. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.